Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Island Podcast. And I am your host, Rick Mitchell. And man, this week, wow, it was jam-packed with news. Um, Not necessarily so much the results portion, uh, as far as championships and seasons moving along, although we did crown an NBA champion this past week. But as far as the news, there was a ton of it from all the various sports. So I don't want to waste any time. We'll go ahead and start off like usually uh, we do here in the PGA Tour. And this last weekend's tournament was the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. And that was played at TPC Summerlin in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the field for this tournament was by far the best field that we've seen since the U.S. Open a few weeks ago. Uh, A lot of the major uh, top flight golfers in the world were out there and it was a great tournament, really competitive, uh, big name golfers playing out, you know, left and right. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a good tournament to watch, good tournament to, uh, to, uh, you know, tune into if you're looking for some good golf. And at the end of it, we had a three-way tie for first place. All three golfers had a score of 23 under par, which is ridiculous. And, those three golfers were Martin Laird, Austin Cook, and Matthew Wolf. Now, probably the only one that the layperson would recognize is Matthew Wolf, but uh, that still didn't stop it from being uh, good golf. Now, in that playoff hole, it was Martin Laird who came out on top. So Martin Laird was your winner at TPC Summerlin, and of course that meant Austin Cook and Matthew Wolf tied for second. But, uh, yeah, great, great showing by, by all three of those guys. There were some other big names inside the top ten. Uh, my man, Will Zalatoris, who I had been picking recently, he, uh, he showed out with a top five finish. Uh, but then my picks to click for this past week, the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. My first one was Webb Simpson. And Webb Simpson's first event in this tournament was 2010. And since then... He's gone 8-for-8 in cuts made with four top 10s and six top 20s. So he's completely dominated this course. Uh, Feels comfortable here, plays really well. And so he went out this past weekend and he fired a 17 under par, which was good for a 13th place tie. Mm, And just, you know, he's a click. He's a top 13 finish. And surprisingly enough, he was actually my lowest player uh, out of the three. Now, the other two... Uh, both tied for eighth, and that is Patrick Cantlay and Bryson DeChambeau. Both finished at 18 under par, and both finished tied for eighth. Now, with Cantlay, I had picked him because he is the all-time tournament earnings leader for the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. So I liked for him to at least finish high enough to continue his earnings streak. Uh, not to mention he's you know, a top player in the world. Now, Bryson DeChambeau, this was his first start since the U.S. Open at Wingfoot a few weeks ago. And if you watched his dominance at Wingfoot, I mean, he won a major championship by six shots. The only player under par in that tournament. So this is his first start since then. So, uh, And that's also not to mention that he won the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open back in 2018, just a couple years ago. So he has proven success at this course. 
and he's coming off of a major championship. So I like for him to at least minimum finish in the top 25. But DeChambeau and Cantlay again tied for eighth inside the top 10, and then Webb Simpson sitting just outside the top 10 at 13th. So all three of my picks this past weekend clicked, which was a complete 180 from last week, the Sanderson Farms, where I went over. And um, yeah, just not good. So I uh, turned it around, went three for three this week and made up for last week. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, looking forward now to this tournament this weekend, which I had mentioned a little bit ago, is the second weekend in Vegas in a row. Now, the reason for that is because these next few tournaments on the schedule, uh, starting with this week, next week, and the week after, were all slated to be played in Asia. And of course, with Asia being the um, epicenter or the creator of this virus that started this global pandemic, PGA realized that it's probably not a good idea to go to Asia to play golf for three weeks. So they ended up canceling one of those three tournaments completely, and the other two got moved here to the United States. Well, that first one is this weekend, which is the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. Now, it was originally the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges, which is the Nine Bridges golf course in Jeju Island, Korea. So here it is. It's at Shadow Creek Golf Course in Las Vegas, uh, right down the street from TPC Summerlin, where they played last week. And it's the first time they've played back-to-back since uh, a couple months ago when they played the Memorial Tournament in Dublin, Ohio, at the course that Jack Nicklaus built. They played two weeks there in a row. So um, you're looking at this field, and this field is even better than last week's field, honestly. Uh, Brooks Kepka returned this week. Now, they did the field did take a hit on Tuesday when world number one Dustin Johnson tested positive for the virus, so uh, he had to withdraw. But, I mean, this is a top-flight field, top-flight players, and if you're looking to, for some good golf that's major championship quality golf, uh, this is this is a tournament you may want to tune into. Now, my picks to click for the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. Start off with Matthew Wolf. Why not? The dude finished tied for second last week at TPC Summerlin, lost in a playoff hole, and his previous event to that was the U.S. Open, where he finished second, uh, six shots back of DeChambeau, uh, but second nonetheless. So he's coming off of back-to-back second-place finishes, and his world ranking is up to number 12. So he has just been playing some extremely good golf. And at TPC Sutherland, uh, on putts inside of 10 feet, he was 64 of 65. And if he can do anything remotely close to that this week at Shadow Creek, I think he's uh, definitely got a chance to uh, be solid inside that top 25 and even higher. But my second pick to click this week is Xander Shoffley. And Xander is number eight in the world. And just like Matthew Wolf, he's been playing some really good golf lately. Uh, his last start was at the U.S. Open a few weeks ago where he finished fifth. And his start previous to that was the Tour Championship, which was the final playoff event at the East Lake Golf Course in Atlanta, where he finished tied for second. 
So he, uh, Xander, is coming off of back-to-back top five finishes. So uh, he's he's a great player, and coming off of back-to-back top fives, yeah, give me him to uh, finish inside that top 25. Now, my final pick to click this week at the CJ Cup Shadow Creek is John Rahm. He's number two in the world. Now, John Rahm has not played this course before, um, but when you're that good, it doesn't matter. Um, you can still go out and dominate the course. Now, I picked John Rahm just based on pedigree, the fact that he's extremely talented. Uh, but he, like Sandra Schaffle and Matthew Wolf, has been playing really good golf lately. Uh, John Rahm, his last event was also the U.S. Open. But prior to that, his previous events were the three PGA Tour playoffs, which were the Northern Trust, where he finished tied for sixth, the BMW Championship, where he won, and the Tour Championship at Eastlake, where he finished sixth. Now, the U.S. Open, uh, he was a trendy pick for that, uh, but he ended up finishing tied for 23rd. So he was still... Uh, Inside the top 25, uh, but his last four events, he has three top sixes, including a win and a 23rd. So he's also been playing some extremely good golf. And like I said, I don't care about the course, uh, lack of course familiarity with Rom. It's more just about pedigree and the fact that he can uh, dominate when he's firing on all cylinders. So it'll be interesting to see how this tournament this weekend plays out. Um, you have quite the field this week, so you tune into that. It's going to be quite the show. But uh, we'll move on to Major League Baseball. And the MLB is in their championship league series, right? So the American League championship series, we have uh, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros. And the National League Championship Series is the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. Now, on last week's episode, I made my predictions, and I said that the Houston Astros would beat the Rays in six games, and I said the Dodgers would beat the Braves in seven. And here we are. It's Saturday. The American League Championship Series has been just bonkers, right? The the Tampa Bay Rays came out guns blazing. And they took a 3-0 series lead. Um, the Astros were a shell of themselves. They couldn't hit. They couldn't field. Second baseman Jose Altuve, for example, for the Astros, he had zero fielding errors in the regular season. You get to the playoffs and he's got four errors, three of which came in the first few games of this series. Now, in game three, he just... He had two of those errors in game three, one of which was a throwing error on a short double play ball hit right to him. He one hops to Correa, gets by Correa, runners safe, Rays end up scoring on that, extending the inning. So Altuve's just been playing terrible in the field, but his hitting in games four, five, and six has really picked up. He's hit a couple of home runs, a couple of important RBIs. And he's kind of turned it around. The Astros lineup as a whole, too. George Springer's getting some good pops. Carlos Correa hit a walk-off home run in Game 5 after he called it. Uh, He told manager Dusty Baker when he went up to the plate, before he went up to the plate, this is going to be a walk-off. And what did he do? He went out and put one in the seats for a walk-off home run. 
So the Astros right now, they were down 3 nothing, dead to rights. Um, and here they come, firing back with three straight wins. Now, I like that momentum. And I picked the Astros to win in six. I'm going to stay with the Astros. Uh, you know, I'm not going to change my pick. But here we are, game seven. It's anybody's game. It's win or go home. And the pitching matchup for tonight's game seven uh, for the Astros, it's Lance McCullers Jr., and for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's Charlie Morton. Both pitchers are good. Um, both have played well so far in the playoffs. Uh, if I'm judging the matchup based on that pitching, I'm probably going to give the Rays a slight advantage with Morton. Um, but lineup and momentum is all Houston, and man, I you know Tampa Bay. Their manager, Kevin Cash, probably the best manager in baseball. And he's got a a lineup full of guys that nobody can name. And all he's doing is winning baseball games. Whereas the Astros, most hated team in baseball, everybody knows all their players. And, you know, here they were down 3-0. Now, the only team in MLB history to come back from a 3-0 series deficit in the playoffs and win the series was the 2004 Boston Red Sox, who, of course, went on to win the World Series that year. Um, And I like for the Astros to win Game 7 tonight. I do. Uh, You know, I picked them to win in 6, and here it is, Game 7. I like for them to win in 7. You know, I think McCullers is probably going to be on a short leash uh, with his pitching. Uh, But the Astros lineup, man, they got momentum, and they believe in themselves right now. And Tampa Bay is, is reeling after three straight losses, um, all with a chance to move on to the World Series. So I, I just I like Houston's momentum right now. And um, yeah, I would not, you know, not it would be cool to see the second team ever to come back from 3-0 uh, and kind of give more of a storyline on the World Series with the Astros being in it. But on the National League side, I picked the Dodgers in seven. I thought this series was going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, the Atlanta Braves jumped out to a 2-0 series lead, and they had come into this series. Neither team had lost a playoff game up to this point. And in Game 1, the Braves were coming off of four shutouts in five games in the playoffs. Just unbelievable. And I thought, okay, they're playing the Dodgers. No way in hell their pitching is going to sustain that type of pace with that lineup that they're facing. Well, guess what? They go out in Game 1, and they give up one run. So not a shutout, but giving up one run against that Dodgers lineup, I would say that's pretty much the equivalent of shutting out the Miami Marlins or the Cincinnati Reds, who they had played previously. Now, they also won game two. So Atlanta jumped out to a 2-0 lead. Now, you talk about game three. Man, the Dodgers, they had some built-up aggression, right? Uh, They scored 11 runs in the first inning, which is a postseason record for most runs scored in an inning. And they didn't look back. Uh, They put a 15 spot up uh, and won game three. Now, the Braves won game four to go up 3-1. But last night, the Dodgers came out, and they were not ready to go home, and they ended up winning game five. So here we are. It's game six tonight, and it's... 3-2 3-2 Braves lead in the series. Game six tonight. Do or die for the Dodgers. 
And uh, the pitching matchup on the hill for the Braves is Max Freed, who, again, just like every other Braves starter, has played outstanding in the playoffs. And for the Dodgers, it is their ace, Walker Buehler. Uh, it's the guy you want. It's the guy you trust in the most. And, um, you know, if they, if they can't win with Walker Buehler on the mound, then, you know, they're, they're in trouble. And their season's over. So you got to turn to Buehler. Um, pitching matchup on this, I certainly give the edge to the Dodgers with Walker Buehler. But, again, the way that Max Fried and the, Dodger, or the Braves pitching staff has played, Man, I, I would not be surprised if the Braves won tonight. I really wouldn't. Um, their lineup is uh, proving to be just as potent as the Dodgers. They don't have quite the big names. They got a few big names with Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies and Freddie Freeman. Uh, but they don't have Cody Bellinger. They don't have Mookie Betts, $350 million man. Uh, they don't have those guys. And so... Um, I, I, I like the Dodgers lineup better, uh, especially on a night where you're expecting to get six or seven good innings from Walker Bueller. Um, I, I think the Dodgers come out and win tonight, game six, and they go to game seven tomorrow. Um, we'll have to see. You know, that, that game is an afternoon game uh, this afternoon, Saturday. So we'll see who wins. But uh, I picked the Dodgers in seven. I'm sticking to that. Uh, but again, the way the Braves have played, wouldn't surprise me one bit if they won tonight. But uh, we'll move on real quick to the uh, National Basketball Association. And the NBA this past week crowned their champion, and it was the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the championship win for the Lakers meant that it was their 17th championship in franchise history, which ties the Lakers with the Boston Celtics for the most NBA championships in NBA history. It also meant that LeBron James won his fourth NBA title. He also won another finals MVP award to go with it, which was probably the right decision, although a case could be made for Anthony Davis as well. Uh, But LeBron won his fourth title with three different teams. So his first two titles came with the Miami Heat, Then, of course, he went back home to Cleveland and won there uh, with Cleveland for his third NBA championship. And then now he moves over to L.A. and he wins with L.A. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a LeBron hater. Um, I just I appreciate the talent. Uh, I think he is uh, the one of the best players to ever play the game. Obviously, he's up there with Michael Jordan. I think the debate is usually Jordan or LeBron. And um, I think LeBron's making a pretty good case, you know, as to his name being at the top of that list. Uh, He's certainly on the Mount Rushmore of the NBA in terms of best players in history. Um, But the fact that he can, you know, everybody talked about, oh, you got to go to the, if you want, you know, he was winning, his first three titles came in the Eastern Conference. And all his doubters and haters were saying, well, if you want to prove yourself, come to the West and win in the West. Well, That's precisely what he did this year. He went to the Los Angeles Lakers. He got Anthony Davis to go with him. And here we are. They're NBA champions. And, you know, speaking of Anthony Davis, when he got traded to the Lakers in the offseason for an outrageous pool of talent that they gave, that the 
the Pelicans acquired for Davis, um, you knew that the Lakers were going to be up there near the top. Uh, you just you, you have Davis and LeBron are two of the top five players in the league, so you knew that they were going to be up there. And Anthony Davis, this was his first NBA title. Of course, he didn't do a whole lot of winning down in New Orleans with the Pelicans, but uh, so this was his first NBA title. And this title made Anthony Davis the first player ever to win an NBA title, an NCAA title, which of course he won with the Kentucky Wildcats, and an Olympic gold medal, and a FIBA World Cup gold medal. All, you know, both with Team USA. So he's the first player ever to win those four things, which that's. That is not a coincidence, okay? Um, Anthony Davis is an amazing player, and he's a seven-foot dude that has range and is super athletic, and that seems to be the way the more how the NBA is kind of turning towards right now with, with big guys that are super athletic, um, like Giannis, Luka Doncic, you know, those kind of players, uh, but you know, Davis is right up there as, as one of the best players in the league. And um, he's showing it based on his, uh, you know, ability to help LeBron win the NBA title. Now, you know, looking forward to next season, I, I can certainly see the Lakers, you know, if, if they keep some of the surrounding players around LeBron and AD. Now, AD's a free agent, so if he doesn't re-sign with LA, then... You know, I don't necessarily like their chances to repeat as much, uh, but they still got LeBron. Uh, so, but if Anthony Davis stays with the Lakers, which if he wants to win another NBA title, I don't see why he wouldn't stay with them. You know, uh, but we'll we'll have to. That'll be interesting to see because he's going to get a max deal wherever he goes. And so it's it's does he want to stay in LA and win another title, or does he want to go elsewhere and perhaps make maybe a little more money, etc. But, yeah, so we'll move on to the National Football League. And holy moly, what a week it was in the NFL. Um, There have been – the story of the NFL this week was the COVID tests, right, and the positives, and it's just been one thing after another after another. Now, I named this episode On the Brink, and I'm referring specifically to the NFL – because it seems as if they are on the brink of losing their season with all these positive tests. Um, you know, with the way, and I, I talked last week about how they have done a tremendous job at handling these tests and isolating players quickly, um, moving schedules around. In fact, they just, uh, there was a, thing that came out last the NFL announced uh eight games were moved because of uh the aftermath of the Broncos Patriots game this past Monday being postponed so um you know they they they've done really well with uh with moving games around and I think that's that's going to continue I think they're still going to do well with that but they are it seems as though after this past week that they are struggling to keep their head above water. Um, you know, like for instance, the scheduling change, the Bills, they had to play the Titans on Tuesday because the Titans started this whole 
COVID test uh, mass spreading through a team. And so the Bills played on Tuesday night football, which was the first Tuesday night game uh, in 10 years, and it was the second in NFL history. So that was pretty neat to watch. But um, the Bills were also scheduled to play Thursday night football against the Chiefs, which they're not going to play on one day's rest. So the NFL had to uh, move that game to Monday night to give them a few more days rest. Um, but as far as the, you know, there were some, some other tests that happened where, of course, you had the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday announced a positive test, uh, but they uh, were able to get back into their practice facility on Friday after retesting the player, uh, believed to be a false positive test. So that was a close scare because that Falcons-Vikings game is still scheduled to be played uh, as of now. And um, a couple days after, <clears throat> you know, here, here we are a couple days after that, the Falcons positive test, they haven't had any more. So that that Vikings-Falcons game tomorrow is still scheduled to be played. Now, another team that had a close call was the Indianapolis Colts. Now, they closed their practice facility on Friday after they had one player and three staff members with positive tests uh, on Friday. But then they they looked into it and they retested them and they came back as all four false positives, which that that's a close call. Um, so their Colts are scheduled to play at home against the Cincinnati Bengals this week. And that game is still scheduled to be played uh, because the Colts have not had any positive, any actual positive tests. Now, on Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, actually, to this morning, some news came out that the Jacksonville Jaguars closed their team facility after a practice squad player tested positive. They're scheduled to play the Detroit Lions this week. And because it was a practice squad player who um, doesn't interact necessarily with a lot of the main players, um, a majority of the team will say uh, the Jaguars have isolated him. They're looking into it, and the Jaguars Lions game is still scheduled to be played. Uh, that's full steam ahead on that as of now. So, um, but man, like the NFL this week it was all about tests. Now uh, on Friday, the Patriots actually had to they shut down their facility. New England Patriots, because they had another player test positive. Now, keep in mind, Cam Newton came off the COVID reserve list this week after clearing all his protocol. Um, and as of now, uh, the Patriots game is still still scheduled to be played. Um, but this, this is getting to be, um, and we are entering flu, flu season right now. And flu has a lot of similarities to COVID. So there's going to be some players that, um, you know, that probably feel like they have COVID, but um, they're going to get sent home because the NFL actually came out with a new policy this past week as well regarding this due to all these positive tests. And the NFL said that they're going to require sick players to isolate if they experience COVID symptoms, even if their most recent test was negative. Now, the way that the list of symptoms for COVID has expanded over these last couple months, it seems as pretty much everything can be considered 
a symptom of COVID. Uh, so basically what the NFL is doing is any player that feels ill, whether it be a, a you know, sore throat, runny nose, cough, fever, whatever, they're sending them home and they're getting tested for COVID uh, like they would normally do every day anyways. But they're getting sent home and they're, they're doing the virtual stuff with those guys. So um, I think that'll help, but I, I, I don't see why they weren't doing that to begin with. Um, that just, it seems as if that probably, if, that probably should have happened before now. A uh, sick player not being allowed to practice with his team. Um, because as we've seen, for instance, this week, and specifically, uh, Melvin Gordon, the Denver Broncos running back, he started feeling sick, uh, I believe, Thursday or Friday, and they sent him home, and he actually tested positive for strep, so and not COVID, but he didn't fly with the team and uh, to their game, so he's, he's a scratch this week, uh, outside of the legal trouble he kind of got himself into this week, but... Um, but that's an example of a player that would, you know, felt ill and he sent him home and, and tested the hell out of him for COVID uh, and ended up being strep. But, uh, yeah, just absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. The Denver Broncos come, come to find out their running back coach tested positive on Saturday. So it's, you know, here we are, you know, five weeks into the season, this is week six of the NFL, I guess. And, we're starting to have positive tests, it seems like, on a daily basis here. And so that's why I said the NFL's really, really on the brink of, of losing their season. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen. We all want football, and the NFL's done a tremendous job of keeping football on the field. But I think they, you know, they have their work cut out for them big time in order to make that happen. Um, but we'll go ahead and we'll go around the island now. Some quick hit topics from various sports. And we'll start off in college football. And, man, here we go along the same line of positive tests. Um, you know, earlier in the week it was announced that the game Saturday night between Florida and LSU was postponed because of a surge of positive tests on the Florida Gators campus. And... You know, then at midweek it was announced that Alabama head coach Nick Saban tested positive, and he immediately left practice and he ran the last few practices of the week from home. And Alabama's got a massive, massive game, probably the biggest game scheduled all year for any conference, and that's Alabama and Georgia tonight at uh, you know primetime football uh, Saturday night, and it's Alabama Georgia. And, you know, Nick Saban originally wasn't able to coach, you know, uh, this game because he tested positive midweek. Now, in order to be able to coach, he had to have three consecutive negative tests, one of which had to be inside the 24-hour period before the game. So um, Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Nick Saban took three tests and they all were negative. So now Nick Saban is able to coach tonight against Georgia. Now, I think that, I find that to be a little suspicious. Um, Saban had not tested positive at all leading up to that test. He experienced no symptoms at all during any of this. 
he gets a positive test, and then his second, third, and fourth day after receiving the positive test, he's negative on all three of those days. And I just, I find that to be, it's one of two things. Number one, he had a false positive test, which is probably the likely uh, situation. Or he found the right set of tests. They're just telling him that he's negative because he can coach. It's Alabama football. It's Nick Saban. It's Alabama versus Georgia. Did anyone really think that Nick Saban was going to miss this game and not be on the sidelines to coach this game? No, absolutely not. So um, I, I would tend to believe that it's, you know, I'm not trying to get into any kind of conspiracies here, but I would tend to believe that it was a false positive test, just like we've seen in the NFL. Now, college football as a whole, they've had a little harder time with this COVID thing. They've they've been, uh, so far, the FBS has postponed uh, 27 games so far this season of the teams that have uh, started already. And that's quite a bit. That's more than the NFL. And I, I mentioned several weeks back on, on that episode that, you know, college football was going to have a harder time staying on the field just simply because, you know, there's a lot more kids on campus and it's easier to, uh, it's easier to control 53 NFL players than it is to control you know, a college football roster on campus, uh, interacting with a lot more kids. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the college football as a whole, they've done okay. Uh, those, those 27 games will all be made up at some point. Uh, but you got to wonder, you know, at what point here do we, you know, change what we're doing or, you know, I think they've kind of adopted the NFL's testing policy and, and uh, they're they're doing their rapid test. That's the thing. Those PCR no swabs, those are the most accurate. And then you you kind of intertwine those with those rapid tests that they've been taking daily. And it's you know those rapid tests are not as accurate, and they're more likely for a false positive. And so I think those uh, that's probably why we're seeing a lot more positives is because a lot of them are false positives. At least that's what I'd like to believe. Um, especially given the fact that a lot of these kids are healthy, they're athletic. And, uh, you know, a lot of them are asymptomatic. So I think, uh, I think a lot of these tests are false positives. But that's going to be a situation worth monitoring and, uh, and see how Nick Saban does tonight on the sidelines. Uh, but we'll move over to Major League Baseball again. And Major League Baseball, um, the quick hit topic from there was that the 2021 MLB draft order was set this week. And that draft order was set based on the reverse standings of the regular season. Now, that's how they normally do it, but the March agreement between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association gave Commissioner Rob Manfred the right to modify the draft order uh, because of the shortened season, Um, and there was some speculation that the MLB may actually do that, Uh, but I think the fairest way, as, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts talking about lotteries and drafts and all that, is to just do the reverse order of the standings. In the regular season, it just makes the most sense. You know, the worst team gets the first pick, the best team gets the last pick. Leave it at that. So that's what they're doing this year. So based on the regular season standings, the draft order is set. Now, I'm not going to read the whole first round. I'll just read the top five. But the first pick in the draft belongs to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Second pick is my Texas Rangers. Oh, boy. They really holding up the rear there. Third pick, Detroit Tigers. Fourth pick, and this is nuts to me, the Boston Red Sox. I mean, that team is 
they got some high-dollar talent on that team, and they're picking fourth in the draft. Um, they just completely, you know, laid an egg in the regular season, and here they are sitting with the fourth pick. Now, the fifth pick is the Baltimore Orioles, which if you'd have told me that the Orioles would have uh, a higher or, a, I guess, a, a lower first-round pick than the Boston Red Sox, I would have probably lost a paycheck on that bet uh, because the Orioles are just junk. They're horrible and have been for years. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that turns out. I was kind of hoping the Rangers would get the first pick, but they decided to go sweep the Houston Astros in their last series of the season in a meaningless baseball. Uh, So they kind of screwed themselves out of the first pick. But, yeah, so there's your top five in the MLB draft. You can look up the rest of that if you're interested to see where your team's at. Um, But we'll zip back over to the National Football League and some quick hit topics from the NFL this past week. New Orleans Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas. He hasn't played since week one, and he he injured his his hamstring in week one, and I believe it was his hamstring. It may have been an ankle, something in his leg. He had a leg injury in week one and has not played. He missed weeks two, three, and four uh, and five due to this injury. Now, well, uh, two, three, and four he missed because of the injury. Week five, this past week, in practice, he decides that it's a good idea to punch a teammate. He got into an altercation with cornerback uh, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, in, a, in practice. And in that altercation, Michael Thomas threw a punch at Gardner-Johnson. And that led to Michael Thomas being basically suspended by the team, by the Saints organization, uh, for one game, which was this week five game on Monday Night Football against the LA Chargers, which they almost lost. But uh, yeah, it uh, it took, it, it, you know, Michael Thomas is struggling to get back on the field in a variety of ways. Uh, I think he's fully healthy. He was planning on playing, but had he not punched his teammate, he probably would have been able to play. Uh, but some more news in the NFL. We all saw it. It was gruesome, graphic, horrible as my Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, he suffered a compound fracture and dislocation of his right ankle. Uh, I believe it was in the third quarter of that game against, uh, uh, who'd we play this week? The Giants. Yeah, that's right. The New York Giants. The 0-5 Giants. Struggled to beat the Giants. Well, we're moving right along. Um, you know, now we don't have Dak Prescott. Uh, Andy Dalton, of course, is the most capable backup in the league. That's why the Cowboys went and signed him in the offseason, just in the odd chance that Dak got hurt. And the worst nightmare came true because now Dak's out for the year. He had surgery that night on Sunday to fix it. Uh, so he's already on the road to recovery. The estimated recovery time is four to six months. So that'll put him... That'll put him ready to go for spring off-season workouts and OTAs, and he'll be ready to go next season. And his whole contract issue of him not signing the long-term deal this year and playing under the franchise tag, we'll have to see if that'll come back to bite him. Uh, Jerry and Stephen Jones have talked about how Dak's the man. They're going to pay him. Well, when the hell is that going to happen? Because they've had multiple chances to do that, and nothing's happened so far. 
So I feel bad for Dak for the injury. Uh, he's still making $31 million this year either way. Uh, he only played in uh, almost five games, just shy of five games, making $31 million. So uh, he'll be all right financially. Uh, if he franchise tagged again next year, it's $38 million. So, um, But Dak is the quarterback of the Cowboys. There really is no other option for them at this particular uh, time. And so um, Dak posted a little uh, video on Instagram and social media the other day, uh, kind of letting us know he's in good spirits and giving us an update. And uh, it's a great video. I'm sure you can find it on, on social media if you haven't seen it already. Uh, he's a true class act and uh, wish him nothing but the best. And hopefully we see him back soon. Um, now, also in the NFL, there were two head coaches that were fired. And that was last week, it was Bill O'Brien of the Houston Texans, who was also their general manager. Uh, and this week is Dan Quinn, the Atlanta Falcons head coach. Now, the Falcons have just been hot, putrid trash. Um, they're 0-5. They have not looked good, you know, and so it was time for Dan Quinn to go. Just like Houston started off 0-4, that's why they fired Bill O'Brien. Um, O'Brien screwed that team up a bunch of ways with trades and trading away draft picks. And so uh, it'll be curious to see who takes both of their respective spots outside of these interim coaches that have been named but the biggest news in the NFL as far as um, what just happened this past week was uh, as far as like player wise was free agent well free agent uh, Le'Veon Bell running back for the New York Jets the Jets tried to trade him couldn't find a trade partner so they cut him they released him which made Bell a waiver claim and he could sign with any team they wanted, um, and the Jets are still on the hook for $5 million of his contract this year, regardless of where he signs. He's still making $5 million. So there were three finalists that Le'Veon Bell narrowed it down to, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs, the Miami Dolphins, and the Buffalo Bills. Well, the winner was the Kansas City Chiefs, and the rich get richer. Uh, the deal is only worth... Up to one point seven million uh, with incentives. I think his base pay is a million and a half or so, and then you have incentives. And um, but they already have. I mean, you see that offense now. Speaking of the Chiefs, I said that they would be sixteen and zero, and of course, the week I say that, they go lose to the Buffalo Bills. Um, but uh, you know, it's. Or not the Buff, you know, they didn't lose to Buffalo. They lost to the Las Vegas Raiders. My apologies. But, um, yeah, just, they're, they're still loaded. And then they get Le'Veon Bell, who talent-wise is still legit. Um, he's not the Le'Veon Bell he was in 2016-2017. But he's still a very good, perfectly capable every down back. Now, they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as well in the backfield, which that duo, that immediately becomes the best running back duo in football. And, uh, you know, to get him at the price they did, I mean, how can you not pencil in the Chiefs for the Super Bowl at this moment? I mean, that team is ridiculous. You know they're going to be in the playoffs. And then they add Le'Veon Bell to that, who is probably one of the best pass-catching running backs we've seen in NFL history. So, uh, and oh, by the way, yeah, they got that guy named Patrick Mahomes at quarterback to get him the football. So, man, I just if you don't if you're not feeling the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you know, if you weren't feeling them before, you you probably ought to hop on the old Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl 
train now because that, uh, that's, that's looking like that's what's going to happen. But I appreciate you tuning in. That's going to wrap up 16th episode of Sports Island. Um, you guys are, of course, the best part of Sports Island, and I appreciate all the listens, the likes, the reviews. And uh, you can find it on uh, any major podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google. Um, You know, just keep tuning in. I appreciate you guys listening again. And uh, hope you all stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.